Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. We're going to be reading Matthew 27, verses 1 through 2, and then skipping down um, to read 11 through 26. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was, ac- was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Next slide. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to New King. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm one, one of the pastors here at New King. If I haven't met you, make sure after the service you come up and say hello. I'd love to meet you. So uh, this sermon is all about the question, who do you choose? And you know the story. And the answer is so easy, it's so obvious, it's right. How could the crowd have chosen a murderer and a robber over Jesus? We know the answer. But this morning, I want to show you a little bit about the context of what's going on so we understand better what this situation is. And then, I think I may surprise you. And I know I'm going to challenge you. I think this sermon may cause you to rethink some things. In fact, some of you may leave here today maybe a little angry about what I might say about this question. Because this question is not just for 2,000 years ago. No. This question, who do you choose, is before us today and every day. It's a question we have to answer in every situation that we're in. Who do you choose? Who do you choose? Let's pray. Father God, help me. Let your spirit guide me this morning to preach this text truly, faithfully, 
in the way that you want me to preach it. Give me the words to say. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of the word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, asking for your help. Amen. Okay, we got to look at the context. You know me, I get up here, we got to talk about the context. What's going on? What's happening? So, 27 verses 1 and 2. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Now, what you have to understand is that night before, the religious leaders, as described in chapter 26, the previous chapter before 27, had a religious trial. And they tried Jesus. And what was he guilty of? Do you remember? Blasphemy. He was guilty of blasphemy. Go back and reread it. That's what he was guilty of. A religious crime. Blasphemy against God. So now they take him to Pilate. Verse 2. They bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Why? Why did they do that? You have to understand what was going on in Jerusalem. Rome had overtaken the town, the state, the country. Rome's army had marched, attacked, and conquered them. This was a military state with a military presence in the city constantly. The people were heavily taxed. The people were oppressed. They had a Roman governor that was put in place to rule them. His name was Pilate. Right? This is a very difficult situation. In fact, the high priest, this guy Caiaphas, we talked about uh, in the previous chapter. Guess who appointed him? Rome. Rome appointed him. It would be like, okay, uh, we're going to go at war with Canada. They're going to win for some reason, and they're going to come into New King, and they're going to say, uh, this Ben Preston guy, uh, lead Preston out. We want our own guy in. Everything was controlled by the Romans. And the Jews hated it. As you can imagine, they chafed under it. And from time to time, a Jewish patriot would rise up and fight back. Right? They would fight back. This happened for a couple hundred years. Guy would rise up. He'd get a little band of people together. They'd have some guerrilla warfare, and they'd fight against Rome. What was Pilate's main job as governor? He was there to control the people, to keep them under control, to make sure there were no riots, to make sure that any insurrectionists, now that's a term that's kind of pregnant with meeting today, we all kind of sit back, any insurrectionists were captured. 
and put in prison. This is what was happening in the city all the time, right? That was Pilate's job. So that's the context of what's happening. And so with that, the Jewish people were not allowed to, to have a sentence of death for somebody. They could deal with some religious matters. They could flog people and scourge people and whip people. They couldn't kill people. They had to go to the Romans for that. So that's why they drag him to Pilate. Are you with me? Okay, good. So Jesus stands before Pilate. Remember what happened before, the night before? They beat him, they slapped him, they spit in his face, and they bound him. So there he is, standing before this governor, bound, beaten, and bloody. And what does Pilate say to him? Are you? Are you the king of the Jews? He might have said it with disdain. He might have said it with surprise looking at him. Probably not. Pilate was used to this. This is not the first guy that stood before him, bloody and beaten and in chains. So he says, are you the king of the Jews? Why that question? Why? Well, what we have is now not a religious charge but a political charge. Why? Because that's what all that Pilate cared about, right? All he cared about was putting down the revolutionaries. And Jesus shows up, is dragged before him, yet just another revolutionary, and what's the charge? Are you king? You think you're king? Are you trying to usurp the authority of Caesar? Are you the king of the Jews? You see, that's the charge. Jesus is now on trial before Pilate as a threat to the state. And then we see what happens. Down in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus says, You have said so. And when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer. Not even (laughs) to a single charge. And the governor, it says, was amazed. There's something different about this revolutionary. (laughs) Pilate had been in charge for quite a while, a number of years, and as I said before, no doubt a whole pile of people had been brought before him, one insurrectionist after another. He was used to it, but there was something about this guy that was different. He was maced. You see that? Verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd any prisoner they wanted. 
at the feast, at the Passover feast, I'll release anybody that you choose. Why did they do this? Why? Remember what Pilate's job was to keep the peace, to squash any rebellions that would come up, to prevent any riots, to prevent things from getting out of control. What was going on at the feast? Thousands upon thousands of Jewish people had crowded into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. What was the Passover? They were celebrating what had happened thousands of years before under a different Rome called Egypt, under a different tyrant called Pharaoh, not Caesar, and how they had risen up and been released from oppression. And so the Roman government says, man, we got a city full of people. They're wild, they're crazy, they're celebrating a rebellion that happened 2,000 years ago. We better appease them. Here's what we'll do. I know what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. We'll let them pick any of their rebels in prison that they want, any of those guys, and we'll let one go free. That will calm them down. You see? That's what was going on, right? Verse 16. And they had... Then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. I want to just kind of drill down into this guy for a moment, Barabbas. He says he was notorious. What does notorious mean? Of note, right? He, he was well known. This was a guy that everybody was talking about. His name was on everybody's lips. Everybody knew Barabbas. He was notorious. Yeah? Everybody knew him. Why? If you, go over to, if you go over to Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verse 7, Mark says this. Among the rebels in prison, he adds this in. Among the rebels, there's a bunch of them, right? So this was a common thing. Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there's that word again, there was a man called Barabbas. See how it all fits. These guys were, were rebels. They were revolutionaries. And this guy, among them, there's one particular guy that's popular. He's notorious. He was a violent rebel who committed murder in this insurrection, in this fight back against the tyrant Rome. He committed murder. He probably killed a soldier or two. So he was popular. Guy everybody knew. He was willing to take up arms and rebel against Roman oppression. He's willing to risk his life, even more so take a life in the fight against the tyrant Rome. Now, his name was Barabbas, right? What's in a name? What's in a name? Barabbas, he was called. We, we read about Peter, he's Simon 
Bar-Jonah. You ever read that and wonder, what do you mean Bar-Jonah? Simon Bar. Bar means son, right? So this guy's name was Bar-Abbas. Bar means son. What does Abba mean? Father. (laughs) Holy smokes, this guy was called son of the father. Did you know that? He was called son of the father. Think about the question. Who do you pick? Now, here's something even more absolutely surprising and mind-blowing and amazing, at least to me. If you read the commentaries about this passage, most of them will tell you this, that this guy Barabbas actually had a first name. Some of the early fragments of Matthew's gospel that were found contained his first name. Bible scholar Bruce Metzger, who specializes in this, says this first name probably was the real one and probably it was left off in later manuscripts. Do you know what the name was? It was Jesus. I'm not making this up. Jesus, Barabbas, is the man that they were talking about, the notorious rebel. Jesus, the son of the father. So now the question has more meaning, does it not? There are two Jesuses, the son of the father, before you. Which would you choose? Amazing. 17 and 18. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus called the Christ? Which revolutionary do you want? I've got two standing here. Who do you choose? They both basically have the same name. It's your call. Pick one, right? And then we see this funny little incident about the dream, right? Pilate's wife has a dream, verses uh, 19, and uh, uh, just verse 19. Besides, when he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Oh, my word, I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I'll forbear. We'll be here till 2 o'clock. We don't want that. Listen, listen. If you look at Matthew's gospel from start to finish... Every single dream in Matthew's gospel is about saving a life. Saving a life. And this one is no different. Go back and look. Joseph has dreams. Uh, you know, take, take Jesus out. The, the, the wise men, the magi have dreams. Don't go back to Herod. It's about saving Jesus' life. Every dream. How about that? Can't go into it now. It's so exciting. I would love to. Uh, but I, like I say, I forbid. And that's a theme in the Old Testament too. Dreams save lives. Whether it's Joseph in Pharaoh's prison or Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's prison. Interesting. Old Testament, New Testament, dreams save lives. How about that? <laughs> All right. So the crowd, verse 20 to 23. Now, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. 
the governor again. Second time, same question. We better pay attention. Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And then Pilate comes back with a couple more questions. Then what shall I do with Jesus called the Christ? What shall I do with this Jesus over here? Not that Jesus over there. What shall I do with this one? The one you didn't choose. And what do they say? Let him be crucified. And then Pilate asks another question. Why? What evil has he done? They shouted all the more. Let him be crucified. Now another sermon that I could preach is all about how Pilate interacts with the people. He speaks seven times, six of them are questions. Did you notice that? Question after question after question. I had four pages written on what does it mean, what do each of these questions mean. We can't go into that. Just think about that. Pilate questions, full of questions. Verse 24 through 26. And when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but that a, that a riot was beginning. Remember? Nobody wanted a riot. Everybody said, not during the feast. Can't have this guy during the feast. Guess what happens right during the feast? We don't want a riot. Guess what's happening? A riot. So Pilate says, man, my job is on the line here. I better put down the riot. So when Pilate saw that he was getting nothing, but that a riot was beginning, he took water. He washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Same thing was said by the religious leaders to uh, Judas in the previous chapter. Uh, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood, Judas says. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourselves. You, you go figure it out. You go do with what you want. In the case of Judas, it ended up in anguish and guilt to the point where he died. In this case, it ends up with anguish and guilt on the people of Israel until finally the Romans came in, insurrection after insurrection, the Romans came in in AD 70 and conquered the city and killed the people and tore down the temple until not a stone was left, one on the other. Okay. It's all about the choice. It's all about the choice. You're the crowd. You're the crowd. Before you are two revolutionaries, two men named Jesus, son of the Father. Jesus called Barabbas and Jesus called the Christ. Which will it be? Is it Barabbas, the patriotic hero, the freedom fighter with the best intentions that wants to free his people from oppression? You have to understand the tools and techniques he uses are Rome's tools. Rome was a violent regime, and he says, I will meet it with violence. And that's what he does. 
Or do you choose the quiet man? The passive man. The submissive man saying nothing with his hands bound. Which is it? The macho Messiah or the suffering servant? Which will you choose? The wielder of the sword of Rome? Or the wielder, as Ben said last week, of the sword of the Spirit? The word of God. The crowd chooses the popular, patriotic, militant, the violent liberator. And violence is heaped upon the quiet man. He's brutally whipped. You know, it's it just one word, scourged. He was scourged. We, we, do you know what that means? They took a whip with multiple leather pieces on it, and they took bits of bone and metal and tied it on the end so that when the back was whipped, it tore the flesh down to the bone. Can't imagine what that was like. They scourged him. Which do you choose? The one who doles out violence or the one who absorbs violence? This question is relevant in every generation, in every situation that we face. It's the question for today. It's the question for this morning. It's the question for every interaction. It's the question for how you think. It's the question for how you react. It's the question for how you respond. Who, who do you choose? I, I can't help it. I read the news probably too much. And there's a movement going on today among Christians. I read about it every week in the news. Every week. We're going to take this country back and we're going to take it by force if we have to. You know what I mean. I don't mean to, to offend anybody here. But there it is. New Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls it the way of Barabbas. The way of Barabbas. We, there's something inside us. We have a propensity to meet violence with violence. The way of Barabbas says we need to take whatever's pointed at us and point it back with more strength. We need to defend ourselves. We need to rise up. We need to attack and forcefully have our way and take back what's ours. With the way of Barabbas, the circle of violence never ends. It's the way of Rome. It's the way of Caesar. It's the way of the world. Then there's the other revolutionary, the quiet man, the other Jesus. He shows us a different way. You know what we call it? 
the way of the cross. You know, Jesus' silence in response to all the accusations and shouts is really the mysterious center of this trial. And, and Pilate, the hardened leader that he is, is amazed. This is not the kind of revolutionary he's ever seen before, and he's not the kind of revolutionary you've ever seen before. He's not the kind of king you've ever seen before. He's not the kind of king the world has ever seen before. He brings a kingdom that's utterly different. But that's truly revolutionary. What does that kingdom look like? What does the quiet man's kingdom look like? It's on display in Matthew's gospel from beginning to end. His first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You know what the kingdom looks like? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you, Jesus said, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of of evil against you. Rejoice, Jesus says, and be glad. Jesus says, I say to you in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I say to you, do not resist the evil. I say to you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your left to them. Is that not revolutionary? You see, this is the way of the cross. This is the way of the king of the cross. And it's on display in how he acted. This is utterly revolutionary. His non-defensiveness, his non-retaliation is at the heart of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's on display in the behavior of Jesus during the Passion on the Mount. He didn't just teach it. He lived it out. Jesus says at his arrest... Put your sword back in its place. For all who live by the sword will perish by the sword. John 18 tells us a little more about the the interaction between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, if my kingdom was of this world... Then my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. You know what Jesus does? 
He gives everything away. He gives away power. He doesn't care about wealth or money or comfort. He doesn't care about success and recognition. He goes to the cross. And Jesus says, if you, if you join my revolution, right? If you choose me, then you've got to be like me. Huh? Then you've got to be like me. Is this hard? A couple of weeks ago, I'm driving up to New King. Monday morning, it's the pastor's meeting, and all our pastors are going to get together and how spiritual we are because we're going to pray and talk about the Bible and all that, and I'm on my way up. And I get onto Route 7, and I'm driving up Route 7 in one of my sobs, and I'm driving along, and I see in my rearview mirror there's a guy coming, and he's passing cars on the left and on the right. Speed limit where I'm going through in Ferrisburg is, uh, is 50, and I'm... I'm probably going 55. I'm a kind of a five-mile-per-over guy. But I see this guy coming. And man, something inside of me instantly rises up. My adrenaline, my heart, that vein on the side of my neck starts pumping, my testosterone, I'm not going to let him buy me. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to let him buy me. So he gets up behind me. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know where he's going. But he's taking unbelievable chances. He comes up, and he's halfway in the center line, two inches from my bumper. So what do I do? I move over a little bit and tap the brakes. All of a sudden, it hit me. What are you doing? <laughs> what kind of a fool are you? <laughs> right? So I immediately, I, I just, my face probably, like in the cartoons, just blanches red. It's like, what an idiot. So I pull off, I immediately pull off the side of the road and let this guy, and I see him passing cars. He's in a hurry for some reason. Why do I care? I'm choosing Barabbas, right? This guy's coming flying up, and I'm going to choose Barabbas. I'm going to fight him with my car. I'm thinking, man, I wish I had my big old truck. Then I could just ram him. Is that you? We all have our areas that we struggle with, and a little row rage in me, as my wife will tell you. I, she, easy, she says, you know, what had happened? She knows immediately to calm me down. Every single situation that we face in this life gives us a choice of who we choose. Work. Am I driven by power and success and all? Am I going to come into work and step on everybody to get to the top? Every situation, family, friends, even in church, we can take the way of Barabbas. Do you escalate or do you de-escalate? Do you attack back or do you bring peace? 
Do you respond with aggressive retaliation to get even? Or forgiveness? You see how relevant this is, this question. The other question is, why, why would we choose Jesus? What would compel us? If we have this within us, these feelings, these desires that seem very natural to us, why would we, why would we get on Jesus' team? Why would we say, I'm with you? I join you. I want to be like you. Why would we do that? It's only one reason. When we see the cross, when we come to the cross, when we see that Jesus gave up everything for you. <laughs> For us. He was silent before the accusations so that he could be our advocate before the Father. And I could go on and on with a lot of other examples. Walter Brueggemann again says, he who did nothing wrong was condemned for everything, so that we who do everything wrong would be condemned for nothing. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you see that, when you see his sacrifice, when you see what he did and what he gave up, then you will have the power and the desire to become a true revolutionary. Then and only then will you be able to say with the Apostle Paul, the, li the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Power, wealth, success, comfort, recognition. Jesus gave it all up so that we could have a completely revolutionary, different kind of power. You see, he freed us from the tyrants that control our lives. Everything we do is based upon, or the world does, is based upon getting more power, maintaining power, getting money, success, all those things. Can you imagine if you were freed from that? What would it look like? What would it look like? You would look like Jesus. You would take what you have and you would, you would feed the poor. You would release the prisoners. You would give sight to the blind. You would help the lame to walk. 
you would take what you have and use it for the sake of others, not for the sake of yourself. You see, one of the things, one of the tyrants that Jesus freed us from is self. Self-absorption. Doing everything to gain everything for me. You want to be a revolutionary? You come to the cross. You stand at the foot of the cross. And you say, I choose the way of the cross. I choose Jesus. That's a true revolution. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this portion. Help us to see how applicable it is. Help us to choose in every situation. Give us the power. Give us the strength. Give us the ability to choose Jesus. Help us to see the cross. Help us to join the way of the cross and be true revolutionaries in this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.